chapter one a fuel of fire this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. fuel of fire by ellen thornycroft fowler chapter one the burtons a merry heart goes all the way as shakespeare once was pleased to say it strikes me nancy remarked anthony burton looking critically at his cousin that lawrence baxendale is inclined to be sweet upon you i wonder at the fact i confess but my eagle eye cannot help perceiving it i doubt if he has the sense replied nancy but it would do him all the good in the world anthony tilted his straw hat still further over his eyes your lack of humility my dear child is only equalled by your lack of justification to be anything else but humble what there is in you to induce any man not bound to you by the ties of relationship to think about you twice i fail to imagine but the fact remains that our friend baxendale does think about you twice and facts have to be reckoned with twice and the rest said nancy laconically now if he thought twice about nora i should find more excuse for him continued anthony turning his attentions to his younger cousin nora though far from being all that i could wish has certain claims to good looks thank you responded nora nancy's good humour remained unruffled yes there is no doubt that nora is much better looking than i am i have discovered that it is a universal law of nature that of two sisters the second is always the better-looking and the taller from the days of leah and rachel downwards if there are any brains going about the elder sister generally fixes upon them but as there are no brains going about in our family this doesn't affect us speak for yourself my dear demurred anthony nora and i are simply bursting with brain-power but we do not despise you for your inferiority in this respect we merely pity but nancy was not attending i'm very glad you've noticed that mr baxendale is rather taken with me for i'd got an idea that way myself and it is a comfort to find it confirmed even by such an idiot as you tony allow me to tender you a hearty vote of thanks for the kind the too kind terms in which you are pleased to refer to my intellectual endowments murmured anthony but he tries dreadfully hard not to admire me that's the best of the joke it entertains me most enormously to see him struggling to defend himself against my charms i know exactly what you mean nan cried nora when you say anything funny he tries all he knows how not to laugh but to be properly shocked yes doesn't he and that makes me try to be all the funnier and it is a pity it takes him like that for he really has got a very nice sense of humour if he'd give it its head and not curb it with proprieties still i don't see why he shouldn't admire you if he wants to anthony continued as i remarked before i should never want to admire you myself but if i did feel any inclination in that extraordinary direction i should have no conscientious scruples against indulging it to the full i once knew a man said nancy who divided the girls he made love to into those he made love to on sundays and those he made love to on weekdays and he said nothing would induce him to make love to me on a sunday his mother wouldn't like it though he'd devote the six other days entirely to the pursuit 
with pleasure then i shouldn't have let him interrupted nora i'd have been made love to by him on sundays or not at all i wouldn't let a man pick and choose his times and seasons in that rude way i didn't and the result was he didn't do it at all i expect that is generally the result when you are concerned sighed tony nancy laughed is it that's all you know about it but why doesn't baxendale want to admire you that's what i can't see i suppose he couldn't afford to marry replied nora wisely unless he married a much richer girl than one of us oh i don't think it's that argued nancy mr baxendale is just the sort of man to marry the most unsuitable woman he could find you see he is high-principled and honourable and conscientious and honourable conscientious people always have scruples against knowing the right men and marrying the right women then what is his objection to you persisted tony if you aren't rich enough aren't you poor enough i don't believe it is money at all money would never enter into the counsels of such a man as lawrence baxendale he thinks i am common that's where the shoe pinches confound his cheek where does the commonness come in i should like to know oh he thinks it is awfully low not to have strolled into england with william the conqueror and sat still here ever since he is the sort of man who expects you to be always taking your ancestors about with you and getting them to give you letters of introduction don't you know he never moves without taking a lot of ancestors about with him just as some people never move without taking a lot of servants i know the sort i thought he'd have had a fit the other day when i said that somehow we'd mislaid our great-great-grandfather and though we'd searched for him diligently in the rag-bag and the waste-paper basket we couldn't lay our hands on him anywhere he didn't in the least see that it was funny nora shook her pretty head how tiresome of him i can't bear people who don't see when things are funny well he generally does see when things are funny that is one of his principal charms in my eyes but he regards family and birth and blood and all that sort of thing as far too sacred to be trifled with or lightly spoken of i'm thankful that i belong to a new family that has no curse but gas and water laid on there is good reason for your te deum agreed anthony you see mr baxendale has a curse and everything else that is correct and uncomfortable and aristocratic and he thinks it dreadfully plebeian of us to be making iron in fact he is one of the people who thinks it is dreadfully vulgar to make anything but mistakes and of those they make plenty i've never quite grasped said anthony why he and his mother have suddenly come down to live under the shadow of their uninhabited ancestral home oh i've got it all out of faith fairfax answered nora you know that baxendales are frightfully poor and when old mr baxendale died lady alicia went to live with her brother lord portcullis lawrence was tremendously clever and went to oxford with a sort of scholarship which they called a post-office order of merton or something like that i knew he was clever said nancy or else he wouldn't admire me when he left oxford he became tutor to lord drawbridge lord portcullis's eldest son and this went on till drawbridge went to school and lord portcullis married again 
till both their lordships went to school in short concluded anthony if they can't afford actually to live at baxendale hall they like to be near it i suppose nora said not the rose but near the rose though what's the fun of living near the rose if you can't possess it i don't know said tony neither do i agreed nora if i can't buy a thing for my own i hate seeing it in the shop windows i believe that faith fairfax is in love with mr baxendale nancy said slowly the other two looked up with interest what makes you think that asked nora because she always knows where he is and always pretends that she doesn't now faith would be a suitable match for our friend tony remarked she'd have property enough to set baxendale hall on its legs again and propriety enough not to knock lawrence off his nancy nodded i know that and that would be just the reason why he would never fall in love with her trust him for invariably going against his own interests when he has the chance i think it would be rather dull to be in love with mr baxendale said nora it would be like going to an oratorio every day of one's life or lodging in a cathedral what rubbish nancy exclaimed besides oratorios and cathedrals are very nice in their way of course they are nancy dear i only said it would be rather dull to be married to one well i don't agree with you mr baxendale is an ideal sort of person with high aims and sound principles and everything else ensuite and though it would be horrid to have ideal people for one's relations i think they are the most satisfactory sort to fall in love with nora looked doubtful but why well you see exclaimed nancy falling in love is an ideal sort of thing and if you fall in love with a person and then found he was sordid and commonplace it would be like seeing an angel and then finding the angelic robes were made of cheap calico now mr baxendale is tiresome and trying and absurdly fastidious but he would always be more or less ideal i don't mean he is ideal in the sense of being faultless anything but he is ideal in the sense of always seeing the right course and as far as in him lies of following it faith is ideal too said nora softly faith is an angel nancy agreed emphatically and not an angel in cheap calico either added her cousin no faith is just perfect nancy continued but all the same it would do mr baxendale far more good to fall in love with me than with her i should have thought ideal people ought to fall in love with ideal people suggested tony on the approved principle of a hair of the dog that bit you and in that case baxendale and miss fairfax seemed made to order for each other it would be a match not only striking on the box but striking from every possible point of view nancy shrugged her shoulders a hair of the dog that bit you is supposed to be curative you silly and love is the one disease that is the worse for being cured i think that lawrence and faith would cure each other of perfection by their own perfectness and then where would they be stupid goodness or badness only knows now it isn't education for any one to fall in love with one of us burtons nancy went on i've noticed it often so have i her cousin agreed and that has led me to make the educational process as easy and pleasant as possible to such young ladies as appear to me worthy of the training and likely to do it justice 
you see we are so healthy-minded that we cure any tendency to morbidness at once and we are so natural that affectation cannot exist within our borders then we are funny and as a rule the curse of love is seriousness love as a tragedy is a bore but love as a comedy is a delight to the actors and is worth ten and six a stall to the audience now no one could regard a love affair with one of us in the light of a tragedy could they they certainly could not replied anthony unless of course we accepted them still i'm not sure that this is altogether a virtue nora remarked sadly i believe people enjoy a love affair more if they can cry over it and we never can that's the worst of us said nancy with a sigh we spoil half the fun of life by laughing at it if we could only cry over things and not see that they are funny we should enjoy them a million times more i'm sure we should it spoils a love affair to see the funny side of it and yet i always do mr baxendale wouldn't see the funny side of a love affair said nora oh yes he would that's just the sort of thing he would see the joke of it is only solemn things such as truth and honour and the church and the baxendales that he takes so seriously as a matter of fact i believe he is too superior a person to fall in love at all he would think it infradig for a baxendale to love an ordinary woman and that is why it would do him such a world of good to fall in love with me it is extremely good for people to be obliged to do what they consider infradig it knocks the nonsense out of them it seems to me remarked anthony that there is a good deal of nonsense to be knocked out of mr lawrence baxendale and that our beloved nancy would enjoy the job i really believe i should agreed nancy the worst of mr baxendale is that he is so frightening said nora he says such sarcastic things oh i'm not frightened of him replied her sister airily but she was i always feel he is despising us and making fun of us nora went on he has such a dreadfully sneering way with him i don't care whether he sneers or not nancy persisted but i thought you were under the impression that he admired you suggested her cousin so he does but he doesn't approve of me that's all the difference silly i wonder if he ever laughs at his mother remarked nora she is so deliciously vague that it must indeed be a privation to be prevented by the fifth commandment from thoroughly enjoying her nancy shook her head no i feel sure he doesn't mr baxendale is the sort of man that the commandments would have great weight with and by the way here he comes in the flesh round the corner of the terrace so i can begin the knocking out process at once and the three young burtons hoisted themselves up out of the garden chairs in which they were lounging and went to meet a slight fair aristocratic-looking man who was being piloted by a footman across the lawn it was a summer's afternoon and anthony and his cousins were sitting in the garden of wayside the burton's house about three miles from the manufacturing town of silverhampton mr burton the girl's father was an ironmaster as his father had been before him and he and anthony drove every day to the works which lay in the dark valley on the other side of the ridge which divides as by a straight line the great black country of the midlands from the woods and hills and meadowlands of west mercer mr burton had married a miss Firingdon, a distant cousin of the Farringdons of Sedgehill, 
and they were blessed with two sons and two daughters nancy who had wit and nora who had beauty respectively aged twenty-two and eighteen and two small boys arthur and ambrose who were enjoying life and neglecting their education at a preparatory school anthony the only child of mr burton's late brother had inherited his father's share in the works and was now his uncle's sole partner his mother died when he was born and since the death of his father when anthony was only ten years old the latter had made wayside his home and had been treated by mr and mrs burton exactly as if he were a son of their own to nancy and nora he had always been as the kindest of brothers and although he teased them in brotherly fashion he was also in brotherly fashion ready to fight their battles to the death and to knock down any other man who should venture to tease them as he did the burtons were a light-hearted race who had never known either great riches or uncomfortable poverty and so were innocent alike of the responsibilities of the one and the anxieties of the other they had never been rich enough to be economical nor poor enough to be extravagant so they took life easily and extracted pleasure from the most unpromising sources and as is the custom in this too sorrowful world were popular in proportion to their cheerfulness mankind as at present constituted dearly loves the people who make it laugh wayside the local habitation of the burtons was a red-brick house on the high road leading from silverhampton to salopshire and thence to the western sea it was approached from the road by a long solemn drive bordered by specimen shrubs which nancy said had a depressing appearance because evergreens always gave her the blues but the house itself was cheerful and comfortable enough and the garden at the back faded away into fields which in their turn ended in some of the prettiest lanes in england as a child nancy thought that these lanes led straight into fairyland as a woman she knew that they did but this fuller knowledge only came after she had trodden those green and mysterious ways in company with the man of her choice and sundry others there was nothing narrow or exclusive about nancy her power of making friends was only equalled by her capacity of turning these friends into lovers on the slightest provocation and if the friends declined to be thus transformed no bitterness was excited in nancy's breast as it might have been in the breast of a more sentimental and serious-minded young woman everything was fish that came to her net and if it was not fish it was fowl or good red herring which did quite as well as far as she was concerned if men fell in love with her she enjoyed their love if they were only friends with her she enjoyed their friendship and she regarded either as the best joke in the world for the time being nora to a great extent moulded herself upon nancy for if nora was the beauty nancy had the stronger personality nora burton really was extremely pretty with dark brown hair large blue eyes and a bright pink colour she was tall and slender and carried herself like a queen nancy always described herself and with much truth as a colonial edition of nora she was shorter and paler with darker hair and her eyes were smaller than her sister's though quite as blue the boys were more like nora a merry good-looking little couple all the burtons were endowed with a very saving faith in themselves and a very sincere admiration for each other and which is the secret of all true family and conjugal happiness 
they appreciated and applauded one another's jokes to the full even the love which beareth and believeth all things staggers now and then when its attempts at wit are greeted with the stony stare of the unamused but the burtons knew better than to put their family affection to so severe a test as nancy crossed the lawn to greet lawrence baxendale she found time en route for an aside to the footman bidding him fetch his mistress and tea then she devoted herself to charming her guest to the utmost extent of her powers as was her invariable habit whether the guest happened to be male or female come and sit down she said i have told frederick to bring out tea and mother at once as i feel sure you must be dying for one or the other baxendale bowed thank you miss burton naturally both will be welcome but it would be invidious wouldn't it to point out which will be the more so we have just been talking about you nancy observed as the four young people seated themselves lawrence winced he was one of the few people who hate to be talked about but this of course was inexplicable to nancy who would rather have been abused than not mentioned at all indeed what have you found to say about me he asked we have agreed that you are rather like a cathedral or an oratorio and that we are decidedly frightened of you i should not have thought that you would be frightened of me replied lawrence who was frightened out of his wits at miss burton and the terrible doubt as to what she might say i'm a most harmless creature oh yes you're harmless enough but you are so dreadfully truthful and upright and that is what makes you so cathedrally i never feel like a cathedral lawrence protested and you don't look like one elephants always look like walking cathedrals don't you think when you see them strolling about at the zoo just as if they were built of grey stone which had been exposed to the elements for centuries i can't say miss burton i don't know that i have ever seen a walking cathedral but you've seen a circulating library and that's something of the same sort but as i was saying you don't look like a cathedral you only shed a gentle and cathedrally sort of influence and that is because you are so truthful and upright it is generally supposed to be the best policy isn't it so at least i've always been told then you've been brought up on proverbs said nora joining in the conversation and they are invariably misleading of course they are added nancy if you let yourself be guided by proverbs you will believe that the better you behave the better looking you will become which as euclid wisely remarked is absurd then aren't you truthful and upright asked lawrence endeavouring to divert the conversation from himself and his moral excellencies nancy laughed not we we never tell the truth unless we are convinced that it is funnier than fiction and we always take what doesn't belong to us if we happen to fancy it from hearts down to postage stamps added anthony under his breath but none of us has ever stolen on a large scale except mother nancy went on did you ever hear the tale of mother in the boot shop mr baxendale no please tell it me well one day at the seaside i went with mother to buy a new pair of boots she tried on several pairs in the orthodox fashion and finally settled upon a pair that was faintly less uncomfortable than the others whereupon we left the shop all the way home we saw people looking at us and giggling and though we feel we are worthy of all notice we see nothing in our appearance to excite mirth therefore we wondered naturally said lawrence at last one woman braver than the rest stopped us and said to mother between paroxysms of laughter are you aware madam that you have a bunch of babies shoes hanging behind you 
it turned out would you believe it that when mother sat down to be tried on a bunch of children's shoes had caught on the fringe of her mantle and she had walked with them dangling behind her all up the street you know the sort ankle straps in every conceivable shade of leather of course we nearly died of laughing and that is the only time any one of us has ever been actually convicted of shoplifting but here is the thief herself t and mrs burton arrived simultaneously and the former was dispensed by nancy with much enlivening conversation wherein the others joined which baxendale in spite of his efforts to the contrary enjoyed to the full and when a man has to make an effort not to enjoy the conversation of one particular woman things are pretty bad with him at last he rose i wonder what o'clock it is i seem to be staying an unconscionable time like charles the second but to me it has appeared short as i dare say it did to him nancy looked at her watch bracelet i am not a very good guide as to time because my watch is always either ten minutes too slow or three-quarters of an hour too fast and you never can be quite sure which there must be something wrong with its internal arrangements said mrs burton with her pleasant laugh which perhaps accounts for your being late for everything nancy dear maybe anyway i must admit that punctuality is the one virtue which i don't happen to possess can i do anything towards the watch's recovery asked lawrence holding out his hand for the pretty toy no thank you when it is worse than usual i just give it a stirrup inside with a hairpin lawrence smiled that is a bit drastic isn't it but it always does it good for at least a week after the hairpin treatment it never loses more than five minutes in the day or gains more than thirty but after that it drops back into its old evil ways again just as we all do the next week but one after a really stirring sermon i'm afraid sermons never stir me up at all whatever hairpins might do said lawrence oh but they stir up nancy cried nora sermons i mean of course not hairpins nancy nodded i should just think they do they give me thrills all down my spine just as the national anthem and falling in love do and make me really an exquisite character for about four days once for a week after mr arbuthnot had preached about unselfishness i went for a walk with nora every day and another time after he'd preached against vanity and love of dress i let tony go for a whole afternoon with his tie wriggling up over the back of his collar and never told him of it and i was not behind you in virtuous behaviour added anthony that very same sermon led me to leave a smut which had settled upon our dear nancy's ineffective nose unwept unhonoured and unsung for at least four good hours by shrewsbury clock and it was on a day when she was particularly fancying herself too nancy tossed her head what a goose you are tony all the same i wondered how you could resist the pleasure of finding fault with me when there was any just ground for such fault-finding i admit it was difficult my dear young cousin a less self-denying man could not have withstood the temptation there are some things which are absolutely necessary to a man's well-being and peace of mind and one of them is pointing out the faults of his female relations another is pointing out in a photograph of any place which he has visited the hotel where he happened to stay said nancy no normal human being either man or woman can help doing that and if we can put a cross opposite our own particular bedroom window delight reaches the point of ecstasy added lawrence anthony gazed at nancy in mock admiration 
my dear young friend you are too clever by half if you get much sharper you'll cut yourself well i haven't yet anyhow though i've often been tempted to cut you there you are at it again sighed anthony when shall i persuade you to be good sweet maid and let who will be clever it would be such a pleasant change if you would and besides you'll never get a husband if you go on scintillating like this men don't want a blaze of fireworks on their own hearthstones they'll want me right enough whether i hearthstone or whether i firework retorted nancy who never could resist squabbling with tony when she had the chance in that case replied her cousin they'll soon find out their mistake at least the fortunate or rather the unfortunate one whom you select will the beauteous firework so fiercely sought will become an intolerable nuisance by being confined to the domestic hearthstone i'm sure i pity the poor fellow whoever he may be when i meet him i shall hug my single blessedness feeling how far my high failure overleaps the bounds of his low success mr baxendale turned to nancy do you know i think your cousin is rather wasting his sympathy no i'm not anthony contradicted him you don't know her as well as i do which is my misfortune rather than my fault that may be but it is a most fortunate misfortune for you she'll make a strict wife won't she nora not she replied the younger miss burton of course she'll expect a man to do things her way instead of his own but that will only be good for him and though i shall expect a man to do things my way instead of his own i shall never expect him to say or even to think that it is a better way than his own that's where lots of women make such a mistake wise nancy exclaimed mrs burton well all the same i return to my point said anthony and that is that nancy is becoming too clever to get a husband at all nancy merely made a face at him without taking the trouble to reply you silly children said mrs burton rising from her chair and shaking lawrence's outstretched hand well if you must go good-bye mr baxendale i'm afraid you will imagine that i have a most frivolous family i shan't think any the worse of them on that score lawrence politely expostulated but he did in those days before nancy had taught him how wise it is to be silly sometimes and how dull it is when once one has been silly to become wise again End of chapter one